Uh, tonight, as we continue in Romans, we'll, we'll focus a little bit more on what you just did, see what the scriptures have to say about it. Romans is where we are. Paul wrote it. Uh, he's uh, introduced himself to the recipients, believers in Rome. He's done so at great length because he, he was never there. They knew of him, but they never knew him personally. And so he's introduced himself, and now he's about ready to get into the meat of this. Uh, it's a letter, actually, the letter by Paul to the Roman believers. And so he has much to say. In fact, we're spending a lot of time in Romans because I, I think if we get the content of Romans right, then we won't be wrong, theologically wrong, about any other major tenets of our faith. And so Paul's just about ready to get to, into the meat of this book after his uh, somewhat lengthy introduction. And now after introducing himself, uh, he begins to say what he really wants to say. And yet uh, before he does, he says something first. Uh, in fact, that's just how the text before us tonight, it's chapter 1, verse 8. That's all just verse 8. That's how it begins. It begins with the word first, first. That's the verse we'll be looking at tonight. Do you know what is said first in conversation is not necessarily the most important thing a person has to say, and yet sometimes it is said first to ensure that the listener will give a listening ear to the much more important things a person has to say Later, Paul had so much to say. I mean, it's this massive theological book. I'm telling you, get it right and you won't be wrong. And yet before Paul dives into all of the significant truths uh, of the letter, he gets not theological, he gets very, very relational. And so he starts off with something even before he says the ton of very important things which he has to say. And this is what he says first. He says, I thank my God. He starts out with gratitude. He hasn't gotten into systematic theology yet. He's not into anything terribly complex and penetratingly deep. He stops and he lets the recipients of the letter know that he's a grateful man. He's grateful to Almighty God. He said, I, I thank my God. Paul was a thinker, you know this. We'll see his thinking reflected in this book. He's so organized in his thought process. He's so systematic. He was the uh, uh, intellectual theologian of the day. He was schooled in rabbinical Judaism. He had tremendous intellectual capacity, so he, he certainly was a thinker, but here we're finding out he was a thanker also. He thought a lot, but he also thanked a lot as well. In fact, thanksgiving seemed to be at the core of his new life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the 13 letters in the New Testament that he wrote, 10 of them begin with some form of the sentiment, I thank my God. So for instance, uh, to the Corinthians, he wrote, I thank my God always concerning you. And to the Philippians, he said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And in 
to the Thessalonians, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, he said, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. He's got lots to say of a deep theological nature to the Roman believers in such a strategic place. But before he gets theologically rolling. He's very relational. And you see, he wants to win them to himself so that he has a higher probability of winning them to his truth. And we could learn something from this. So he first wants them to know, I'm grateful to God for you. That's a relational sentiment. Folks, have you ever met somebody who has a lot to say and a lot to offer, but you don't want to listen because they're not likable? Why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> I had a professor like this one time. I mean, he was a walking encyclopedia. He was brilliant. And yet I noticed his classes were always underattended. He was toxic. He was caustic. He was distant. He was non-relational. We would be good to know what we would do believe, and we would also do good to grow in our relational skills. And so Paul had both. And so he says to them, I thank God for you. This is his first written contact with them. And he begins with gratitude expressed to God for them. And he expresses this thanksgiving, the text says, through Jesus Christ as if Jesus was the bridge over which Paul's expression of thanksgiving need to travel. It had to go from Paul to the Father, and it couldn't go in the air. There had to be a, a mediator, a, a, a channel by which even Paul's thanksgiving could be assuredly received by the Father. There had to be a bridge, and that's Jesus. The perfect bridge, because on one side, he's the son of man, and he could grab hold of the hands of us. And on the other hand, he's the son of God, and he could grab hold of the hand of God. He's the God-man. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I got to tell you, I mentioned last week in passing, that's a real stumbling block for people Many people out there, if you ask them, would say, sure, I believe in God. Sometimes maybe you'd say, do you pray to him? People would say, of course I pray to him. You know, that kind of thing. But this thing of having to go through Jesus, this thing of Jesus being the only way, boy, I want to tell you, that is really a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. It just seems so hyper-narrow. What about the billion and a half Muslims who go through Allah or Mohammed or Jews who go through Moses or whatever? I mean... Why does it have to be Jesus? Why can't you just believe in God? So I have, a, I have a phone. Do you have one of these? A smartphone? You have one? Everyone has one of these. You, you got to have one. Yeah. Could I tell you something? Even our pastor has one. So you, you need to get one. So, so I don't know why they call it a smartphone. Smart in comparison to who or what? To be honest with you, I think in comparison to me, because I barely know how to use it. But I do know this. If you say to me, hey, I'd like to talk to you, how do I contact you? I'm going to give you the number on my smartphone. 
I'm going to say, here's the number. You call this number, and then we'll be in contact. Now, you could say to me, I don't want to call that number. There's lots of other numbers. And I'm going to say, are you out of your mind? <laughs> you can fool yourself into thinking you can get to me your way by pumping in any numbers you want to, but that's just not going to happen. The fact that I gave you any number at all is something you ought to be thankful about. <laughs> I've given you somebody else's number. And that's how we do God. God, I don't want anything to do with you because though you've extended to us a means of access, it's just not broad and general enough. It's not inclusive enough. It's just too narrow. That God made himself available to us in any way. Is something that will make us just fall on our knees or jump for joy or be worshipers of him for forevermore. But it's just a problem. Paul didn't get this, but now he did. And so he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ is what he is what he says. You can fool yourself into thinking, I pray to God, I believe in God, I call upon God, but unless you come to him through Jesus Christ, you're sort of wasting your time. He's the, he's the mediator of God's gifts to us and of our thanksgiving back to him. Blessings are received from God the Father through God the Son, and thanksgiving, Paul's and ours, is returned to God the Father through God the Son. It is one of the clear doctrines of Scripture. Get this right and you won't be wrong. It's one of the clear doctrines of the Bible that in all of our approaches to God in prayer or praise, we have to come through Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. So Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Then he says, for you all. This is amazing. So yeah, he, he didn't know them by name. Remember, he had never been yet to Rome. He wanted to go. It was his prayerful desire. But he, he didn't know them face to face nor by name. So he couldn't specifically be thanking them for any virtuous thing in the life of this world. Hey, I want to thank so-and-so because he's, he, uh, he's a good electrician. I want to thank another person because of, you know, they, they work all the time with the children in vacation Bible school. He couldn't do, he couldn't, his thanksgiving could not connect specifically with individuals. He just gave a collective uh, uh, utterance of gratitude to God is for them all. Why? Because the church in Rome had kind of a corporate group identity. Every church does. And though there are exceptions to the rule in every church, a church has a flavor to it. You ever wonder what people think of our church when they hear about us? Oh, Sagemon Church. What comes to mind? Good things? Not good things? What do they think of us? Uh, do they, oh, you're the church with the beautiful building. It's true. But that's not good enough, is it? Is it? No, 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 no. So you're, you're wondering. But, but, so Paul was thanking them because somehow what emanated from this local church in Rome was good. And Paul wanted to thank God for the image that the group of believers gathered together at the church in Rome exuded. And so he says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And here's what he was thankful for. Look, because of 
your faith. I'm thanking God because of your faith. Specifically, it's being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Does that mean the gospel that changed their lives was by them being uttered throughout the world? No, because it wasn't at that point. It means that the effect, not the content yet of their faith, but the effect of their faith in Jesus Messiah was so transforming, people were talking about it all over the place. Somehow their image was not like the one reflected on Google. Somehow their image was so, somehow their identification by faith with this risen Savior Jesus had produced such attractive transformation in their lives that word went out across the world and everybody was, was talking about these folks. No, it wasn't, it wasn't merely the content of their faith. It wasn't just the declaration of their faith that was taking the world by storm. It was the demonstration of the effect of having Jesus in their life as Lord and Savior. I went, they didn't have a marketing problem for crying out loud. They were a topic of conversation. Why? Well, because of their changed lives. These Christians were a topic of conversation. Everyone was talking about them. It wasn't, hey, did you hear it's tax-free day? <laughs> did you hear we got a new basketball? The, uh, the Rockets got a new hot player. <laughs> you know what people were saying? There's a group of folks in the heart of the Roman Empire, right under the emperor's nose, who do not bow to him. They bow to another, whom they call their Lord and their Savior. And it looks to us as if they, in fact, have made themselves subjects of this Lord Yeshua. Yes, Hebrew name. This is amazing, they would be saying. They bow before a Jewish carpenter from insignificant Nazareth while in Rome, under the nose of the emperor, they worship this carpenter from Nazareth, saying he distinguished himself as being extraordinary by beating up on death, his own. It was imposed upon him by our government, and he rose up from death. And they claim these followers of the way in Rome claim they have evidence that he's been resurrected. And there must be something to their faith because even under threat of death, they proclaim it all the more. They were a topic. Uh, folks, much is discussed about Christians and Christianity today. All you have to do is watch the latest sitcom. They're mocking us. They're killing us. They are abusing us. You know what's worse? They're ignoring us. We're almost not an issue anymore. But the church in Rome, they were being spoken of in light of their faith and it's in Jesus and its effect on them. Rome was the capital of the pagan world. And yet there was a thriving community of 
believers there. It's no wonder that Paul was so thankful to God for them, and it's no wonder that everyone was talking about them. Hey, they'd say. Did you hear about those Christianos in Rome? See, they had, they had a term, Christianos, Christian. It was derogatory. I like the term Christian. I'm a Christian. I love it. It was derogatory. They, they are Christian. You know why? Because it was in contrast to Kaiseranos, followers of Caesar. See, it was emperor worship then in Rome. So you, you are a follower of Caesar, Kaiser. You're a Kaiseranos. <laughs> but there's a group of people who say, no, with all due respect to the government, no, with all due respect to the emperor who sits on the earthly throne. That's all he does. His throne is just temporal and earthly. We are Christianos. We are followers of Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the, the anointed. They were a topic of conversation. Listen, the Roman historian Tacitus said, all things atrocious and shameless flock from all parts of the world to Rome. And there, in the midst of all of this evil and depravity and degradation and emperor worship, was a group of folk willing to die for their faith in this Jesus. They didn't have an image problem at all. People were amazed. To have a faithful church in this city, Rome, was quite amazing. If it was Jerusalem, it wouldn't be so amazing. I mean, in Jerusalem, Jews, Jesus, a Jew, you know what I'm Rome, the capital of the pagan world, everyone was abuzz about it. Believers, Christianos, knew how to thrive in Rome as followers of this Jesus? They knew how to thrive spiritually in the midst of all the corruption and immorality and depravity of Rome? You bet people were talking about them. Wouldn't it be great if people were talking about us like that? Houston is just as immoral, depraved, and all the rest. Any city in the United States. What are people saying about us out there? Wouldn't it be something if they were saying things like this about us? How many times does the secular world take a look at the church and say, that group really seems like what real Christians ought to be? Wouldn't that be great? Those people at that place called Sagemont Church, you know, the one with the big cross, those people live like I think a group of people ought to live who claim that the one who was once on that cross no longer is. Those people live that way. Wouldn't it be great if we just got together, teamed up, were unified around this theme and said, oh God, we want the world out there to be talking about us in light of the transforming power of 
our faith in you, our resurrected Savior. We want the world to see you alive from the dead, living in our hearts and making a difference right under the nose of all kinds of ungodliness and all the rest. We want the world, our community in the world, to be a buzz about the fact there's something about them. I'm not sure I want to join them yet. I'm not sure I want to be a Christian, but if I ever did, it would be because of people like them, because at least the one they claim to be, their Lord, seems to have taken charge of their life. They are living a distinctively different kind of life. The evidence in the, the, uh, of the power of the faith of these Roman believers was being proclaimed, the text says, throughout the whole world and uh, that actually means uh, throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, I mean it, it wasn't proclaimed in Chicago in those days or Houston or anything like that because those places didn't exist. It can't mean throughout the whole world. It means throughout the whole Roman world, and here's what it is. Look at it, all that stuff in red. That's the Roman Empire, the whole, you know, all around the Mediterranean Sea, starting in Jerusalem, of course, over there on the right, and going to Greece and Turkey and... Uh, Spain and uh, England, modern-day England and Portugal and Italy and, you know, North Africa and all the rest. Uh, that was the world when Paul wrote, and he made the statement, I am so thankful to God because the transforming effect of your faith in the Lord Jesus is being proclaimed throughout the world in all of these places. How could it be? We'll, we'll travel because of the brilliant uh, skills of Roman engineers was facilitated in these, you know the expression, all roads lead to Rome? That is literally true. All roads around this empire, the Roman conquered lands, led to Rome. So people from all of these places would have occasion to go to Rome, and there they would see the Christianos, the followers of the way, and they stood out. They weren't weird. They weren't odd necessarily. They... They walked the talk. Isn't that an expression we're familiar with? Yeah, that's what they did. They didn't just profess to be a follower of Christ. They seemed to demonstrate it in their lifestyle. All this, you know what all this did? It made Paul, perhaps the greatest evangelist missionary ever to have lived, it made his job easier because he would travel on multiple missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire. As a Roman citizen, you see, he could do this. And he would go, and maybe he would start talking to them about the best news ever, the gospel of a pardon and forgiveness and adoption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that a person could be seen no longer as a debtor or a an adversary of God, but a forgiven and adopted son or daughter. And Paul was just going about spreading this news, but it has to be by faith in the Lord. It can't be by religion. It can't be by anything. It can't be by what you do. It has to be by faith in what he did. And as he, people would stop and say, hey, wait just a second. Are you talking about the same God those people in Rome believe in? And Paul would say, exactly, one and the same. And his job as an evangelist would be made easier. Folks, I think one of the greatest uh, stumbling blocks to evangelism uh, are Christians. It isn't so much that we aren't declaring our faith, but we're not demonstrating the reality of it. We're just not looking all that holy. What could I tell you? 
We really, in our quest to fit in, we've succeeded. And now we're indistinguishable from the surrounding culture. Our Jesus has not gotten into them. They've gotten into us. You know, we go to Israel on missions trips. It's unbelievable. A good deal of our time is spent on unlearning. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, people will say, yeah, I've known of Christians. Our, our image is horrible in the Middle East. Did you know that? Amongst Jews, amongst Muslims. It's just really, 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 really bad. They think of cults and hypocrites and money grubbers. and They, oh, they think, we just, hey, could I tell you about Jesus? Well, I've heard about Jesus. Why don't you show me the difference he makes in your life? And then maybe I'll listen, you say. So you know what we could do? We could help out Christians worldwide by uh, so living the Christ life that the next time they share about life in Christ, <laughs> if that person happened to know us, maybe it'll make it easier. You know, I, I, uh, I went to get a haircut the other day. I know it doesn't look it, but, you know, you get what you pay for. And, uh, and, uh, and there was a lady cutting my hair. She's a Buddhist, Buddhist lady. Spoke really great English. And, and so I had a chance to share with her. And, and she said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Buddhist, but, I, but my adult children go to a Bible study led by somebody who I think, she said, believes the same thing you do, that Jesus is the Savior. That's what she said. Whoever that is leading the Bible study with her kids made my job in the chair so much easier because they gave us such a good image of what it is to be identified with Christ. When I also identified with Christ, she, the Buddhist lady, said, oh, yeah. She said, I'm not ready to believe the way you believe, but there must be something to it. Huh? Look at that. Instead, we go around. You know, you say, hey, could I tell you about my Lord and Savior? Oh, man, I've known Christians. I know them. They don't pay their bills. You know, all this. So what the Roman Christians, you see what they were doing, but their transformed faith made it so much easier for Paul the evangelist to get the job done. He was so thankful. Don't you want to be the kind of people I do? I'm not there yet. You're not there. But don't we, shouldn't we want to be the kind of people who make it easier for other believers? <laughs> to talk to folks about Christ. Because someone may say, oh, I met someone at this church in Houston, Sagemont Church one time, on a plane, on a beach, on a this, on a that. And boy, uh, that person was kind and friendly and warm. Relational skills. And that person was so sincere in sharing with me his faith, her faith, that kind of, don't you want to be that kind of group? Of, I'm sure you do, so, so do I. Now, here's the deal. Faith, you know, we're talking about faith. That's personal, isn't it? That's private. When someone, accept, when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you don't see that. I don't see that. When his spirit comes into a person, I, I mean, I don't, it's private. I don't, I, I don't see that. But if the faith is real, <laughs> shouldn't, be, shouldn't there be a time when it goes public? Shouldn't faith, if it's genuine, make a noticeable difference in the one who claims to have it? 
Shouldn't that person's faith, if it's really genuine, at some point no longer stay hidden and private, but look like it's noticeable? Is it natural to have faith in Jesus and yet to keep it private and hidden so that nobody knows? Shouldn't there ought to be proclamation, but just as much, shouldn't there also be transformation that becomes noticeable to others. Could I tell you something? When I became a Christian, I asked God to show himself to be real in my life in front of my parents. And this is just really earth shattering. I remember taking out the garbage when I I was home from the military. And I remember taking out the garbage without anyone. My mother did not have to tell me. I just did it all by myself. And she said, isn't that something? And she, <laughs> she said to me, you know what she said to me? It's always great to have you home, but this visit is better than ever. You're different. What's happened to you? And I got to tell her about Jesus. By taking out the garbage, go home immediately. Take out the garbage. <laughs> take out your neighbor's garbage. Do, do, it doesn't have to be earth. Look, here's the deal. How could you be inhabited by transcendent deity and someone not see and ask a question like, what makes you tick? Come on. Come on. You know, so I was thinking as I was going through this, I think I I, I maybe have a better understanding of, of, of why God gave us baptism. Oh, and it was so beautiful to see tonight, don't you think? Oh, I love the young child and... An older child of God, wasn't that good? Just magnificent. We never tire of seeing something like that. Wow, I was wondering, why does God give us baptism? But did you know he commands us to be baptized? Did you know that? So it must be quite important. Um, I, I think he did as a way of making our faith in him public right away. So the practice of baptism is a Christian's way of going public, even without a word. It's a good thing, isn't it? God is good. You know, here's the deal. I think God commands us to be baptized <laughs> so that we can start getting into the public swing of things. <laughs> so we can start kicking off, yes, our deeply private and personal faith in him. But we can start kicking it off with a public demonstration. I'm, doing the, I'm going down in the water, reminiscent of the Lord Jesus Dying for me. I'm coming up out of the water because I identify not only with the death of Christ, but with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son, whose name is Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, Mohammed's got nothing to do with it. Mo 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 Moses got nothing to do with it. Oprah got nothing to do with it. It's all about Jesus. I identify with him. Look, look, look. And uh, he laid hold of me. Yeah, I think, I think God wants us to go public right, right away. Again, not just in proclamation, but in a transformed life. These Roman Christians showed public evidence of their private faith. They lived right under the shadow of the Roman emperor, but they lived as though they were really under the shadow of their Lord Jesus. <clears throat> They were respectful to the government and the institutions of society. And I don't think they were known for placards, protests, and boycotts of Disney. I mean, you can do what you want. It's a free country. But I don't think that's what they were known for. I think they were known for living 
under the most high God, even in the most pagan, carnal, godless capital city on earth. Their faith was made visible. They did things differently. They went to different movies or none at all. They dressed differently. It wasn't so short, so tight, so revealing. They remained faithful to their marital vows. They paid their taxes. They were the best of citizens. They were the best workers. If they were in someone's employ, and even if they were in enslavement, they showed due respect to their master. And they did it not thinking they're under the shadow of the master of the emperor, but no, they're under the shadow of the most high God, their, their risen savior. Folks, biblical faith is more than agreeing that something is true. Don't you agree? Biblical faith is agreeing that something is so true that you are willing to go out on the limb for it. I'm jumping into your arms, Lord Jesus. Save me and I'll be saved to the uttermost. I look to nothing and nobody else. There is no system of salvation or religion could save. My virtue is inadequate for all have sinned and fall short. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm taking this leap, not of blind faith, of intelligent faith, for you have distinguished yourself from all pretenders to the throne in leaving behind an empty tomb and post-resurrection appearances. My goodness, if you could lay to rest the last enemy death, you can surely author in me new life with which redounds unto eternity. Their faith was being talked about because it made such a noticeable difference in their lives. Could I ask you a question? I mean no harm. I'm subjecting myself to the same inquisition. What is noticeably different about you who claim to know the Lord Jesus? What is noticeably different about me? Language, dress, recreational pursuits. I didn't say be weird. I didn't say be odd. I didn't say that. I just said, what is noticeably, is anyone asking for an account for the hope that is in you? Why not? Is anyone saying, what makes you tick? You're different. Is anyone seeing your good works and giving glory to your Father who is in heaven? If not, why not? What is noticeably different about you? Folks, I don't think we need more Christians, although we'll take them. What we really need is more people claiming to be Christians who also are showing evidence of Christ in their life. Evidence. Evidence stamped on your life. Did you know if you publicly professed Christ as Savior, if you go about calling yourself a Christian, do you know your life is meant to be exhibit A? To the world. I have never seen Jesus, a naysayer says. And you say, oh God, let them see you through me. Let me be exhibit A. So look, if people did a Google search about you as a Christian, and they typed in, why is, and then whatever your name is, why is 
Bob or Joan or whatever. So what would come up? <laughs> what would come up? What should come up? Why is your name so? What should come up? Holy? Committed? Passionate? Kind? Loving? Warm? Responsive? Self-sacrificing? Concerned? What? what should come up if someone Googled your name? What would you like to come up? Let's make a commitment. Let's pray privately. I pray, you pray. That is the church. If people Googled the name of our church or our names individually, what would come up would be the fruit of the Christ life. Love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit of God in us. Oh, let's declare our faith. But I think what most folks around us are yearning for now is a demonstration of that which we declare. In fact, they don't want to listen anymore. Heard it. See no difference. <laughs> you people don't get along any better than any group. Church splits, backbiting, gossip. Oh, no, 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 no. Why is Sagemont Church so... What do you want to say? What do you want to say? Pray it. Paul was not, did not express his thanksgiving for the, to, to the Roman believers. He expressed his thanksgiving to God for the Roman believers. Why? They couldn't bring about what God brought about in their lives, and neither can we. Would you be willing to pray? We pray a lot of stuff. God, heal me of this. God, heal me of that. God, give me a job, whatever. Good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But not good enough. How about this? Oh, God. So fill me. So change me. So transform me. So inhabit me. That the people around me. Make me a topic of conversation. People in the office. In the school. On the athletic field. In the barbershop. At the gas station. Are saying. There's something about that one. There's something about that one. There's something about that one. That one attributes the nature of his life to this Jesus and his faith. Wouldn't it be great if that, we were the topic of conversation like the Christians in Rome so that believers around could say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of them at Sagemont Church because the reality of their faith is a topic of conversation all over the world. Lord Jesus, that's a big one, which makes other concerns seem so small and petty in comparison. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the world is saying, show it, prove it, be exhibit A. And all too often, oh God, we confess we've quenched the reality of your presence, your spirit in us, so that it's hard for people to see us to be any different at all. We're sorry.
but it's not over. We have an image problem. It can change. Oh, God, we pray in this desperately needy and increasingly unsettling and hopeless world, people will see in us you, the rock of foundation upon whom we rest and the reality of your presence in our lives so that people don't have to be chased and coerced to listen. People seek us out and say, tell me about what or who has made such a difference in your life. And then we tell them, it's you, Lord Jesus. You changed us now and forevermore. Make us to be as potent as the Christians in Rome. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.